the best, the worst of TV Part 2. This is Geek Confidential. Welcome to the Geek Confidential Podcast. My name is Luke Kerr. Today we are doing part two of the best and worst of television from 2021 to 2022, which covers us from September 1st of 2021 through May of 2022. Joining me as always is Melody Akles. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. Mo Walker. Welcome, Mo. Glad to be here, everybody. And Dan Pierce. Welcome, Dan. How's it going, everybody? Okay. Uh, the first category is, because we're going we're gonna dive right in, and the first category is best new show of the season. Mo, who do you have? For me, I have Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I think that really when you when you think about Star Trek and it it gives you that the certain nostalgia feel. And when I watch strange new worlds, I get that buzz, that, that charge. And it, it just fills me with, with such warmth. And I love the mix of characters that we, we get on the show. Certainly some established favorites like Spock, other characters. We are more familiar. We are, well, let me preface this by saying, if you are a hardcore Trekkie, you may be familiar with with Captain Pike and and Una and and different and Nurse Chapel and in other iterations. But the I think the casting of these characters, you know, shows not only Gene Roddenberry's ideal, you know, s- scenario for for, for st- Star Trek. Um, revealed more or less a very inclusive open um place and i i just feel like each episode we get to know the characters a bit more we we see the relationships it's clearly the many loves of spock you know as, as luke had alluded to in the previous episode you know we've got a lot of spock romance uh in, in one um body switching episode as well and so i think that you know as a fan of of star trek you know particularly if you're an older star trek fan i think you'll like the fact that these episodes are more or less one and done with some plots that carry forward. If, if, if you've been missing that in your Star Trek, definitely watch Strange New Worlds. Mel, who do you have for best new show? Peacemaker on HBO Max. Um, so this is a show I honestly had to give a second chance because I tried to watch it the first time. I wasn't feeling it. And I went back and watched it again and I ended up watching it all. And I really thought they did a great job of fleshing out the Peacemaker character. John Cena did a great job portraying Peacemaker. The show is off the rails. It is BSC. But they had a really great supporting cast as well. I loved Danielle Brooks. And the rest of the cast really rocked it out. We got some, you know, appearances from Amanda Waller, who doesn't love her. There was a lots of, you know, twists and turns, but... I am interested to see, I think they did get a, a season two, to see how they're going to continue its run. But for a new series that was a spinoff of a film, I really enjoyed it. Dan? Uh, for me, it was Obi-Wan Kenobi. I talked about it a lot during the previous episode, but I loved that show. I thought all of the actors did a fantastic job. I really appreciated a lot of the uh, newcomers to the Star Wars universe. I really enjoyed O'Shea Jackson. I enjoyed Camille Nanjiani. Uh, they did a fantastic job in their roles, and I'm really looking for. I'm hoping that we get a little bit more out of uh, Kid Leia, Kid Luke, and seeing what else the universe brings. 
my best new show of the season is actually Halo on Paramount Plus. Um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds was a close second. It just barely made it in or missed it, I should say. I love the cinematography of Halo. I have been a Pablo Schreiber fan for years. Uh, and so to get him to or to be able to see him play Master Chief was fantastic. I do agree with Moe's earlier assessment that Quan was a terribly annoying character, but I don't necessarily like I in in the world of si- annoying sidekicks, she's nowhere near as bad as someone like say a Jar Jar Binks or some of those other iconically ter- annoying um, side characters, sidekicks. Um, so I didn't have the problem with her that Mo did, but I thoroughly enjoyed Halo on Paramount Plus. Which brings us to the worst show of the season, Mel. Lucas Lorenzo Kerr made us watch a show on Netflix called First Kill. And I cannot get that hour of my life back, okay? It's a show about vampires and vampire hunters. They also hunt ghosts and ghouls and goblins. And it wasn't for me. It wasn't it. I I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the acting. I didn't enjoy the story. I didn't enjoy anything about it. And if I forget it exists, it'll be a better day. See, I looked at that one um, and we discussed it for the podcast, but I didn't think that it felt like I felt like the first episode aired in June. So I didn't think I could include it because it was definitely going to be on my list. I'd have to go back and look. Mo, I'm looking. I'm looking. And it is June 10th. Right. I didn't think that it counted. Um, I'll give you a pass, Mel, because you're actually you're usually pretty good about the rules, unlike a couple other people on this podcast. Um, Dan, I see how Dan, who do you have for worst show of the season? I'm glad I got my time. Anyway, I'm just kidding, guys. I I I don't have time anymore. I'm a dad. What are you talking about? Uh, the worst show. I I'm sorry, but the Flash is bad. It's a bad show. It's been a bad show. There's no saving this show. You can blame COVID. You could blame the elements. You could blame uh, the the kids. You could blame Nora. But at the end of the day, it is just a bad show. I don't care about these newbies. I don't care about the elements. I don't care about it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but Eobard Thawne needs, like, we don't need him anymore. We just don't. And we also, spoiler alert, do not need Damian Dark in anything ever again. If I ever see Neil McDonough in a CW show, he better be playing a quirky dad on a teen drama, and that is it. I am sorry, there is no way that this show can survive, like, should survive, to for one, and two, could possibly thrive in next season. There's no way. We're just going to see a show tank even further. Why? What's the point? Do the actors even want to be there? Mo, who do you have? Ooh, Dan. Mm. I'm there with you. My Thank worst you. show of the season is The Flash. Ooh, dog. Ugh. Well, we start with Armageddon. Armageddon was supposed to be this wonderful crossover event. The crossovers, I mean, they we got crossovers with other CW Arrowverse characters, but it was weak sauce. I mean, you had the Adam Ray Palmer show up in his little special episode. You had uh, Black Lightning show up in his special episode. It was like we were getting five straight weeks of special episodes with a villain a cut across. Now, granted, I will say that you know having a little twist with with Zoom and Thawne, you know, was fine. But at the end of the day, we didn't get anything from Armageddon. Armageddon didn't leave me excited about you know, the rest of the season of The Flash, especially when we got those five episodes and then we got this months-long hiatus until the next the next portion of the season kicked off, which unfortunately started off with two of the weaker characters in Excess and Bart leading a story arc. And then from there we get 
Iris. I mean, Iris was more or less sidelined. It was like literally they put Iris in the in in the closet or in the basement or something for like two fourths of the season. They had her separated from Barry, which is never good because one of the, the strengths of the show is that relationship. And whenever they did have the Barry Iris Joe relationship, that familiar unit. To me, those scenes really sung. It's clear that there was chemistry there, but it's like it, it it's like someone literally is trying to resuscitate a dead show and they're taking these paddles and electroshocking the show and it's not work working. The speed the 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 different forces, the sage force, the the blah blah force, the steel force, whatever, they nothing work. They didn't work in the previous season, they didn't work this season as well. They were concepts from the comic books that, in my opinion, only kind of half worked. They certainly aren't working here. I think that utilizing Zoom in the finale... Now, granted, had this been the series finale, that makes sense. And I do appreciate the fact that um, we got the Harry Cavanaugh uh, uh, thong, you know, literally ripping his... You know, emerging face, ripping his face off from uh, the Matt Lecter. Th- I mean, fine. I was perfectly happy with with that. It was entertaining, but my God, it was horrible how they brought back Iris and, like you said, like Damian Dark and Joe just piling around. It was just like they, oh, it, it was just bad. And like, here's the thing, Dan. You know, we're contractually obligated to at least season nine. But the showrunner says that he's hoping to at least get two more seasons. So buckle up, because if that happens, you know, we're going to be in for a lot of hate watching. Best crossover this year was between Iris and Batwoman on Instagram Live. The rest of the season was bad. The end. My worst show is also The Flash for everything that Mo and Dan have already said. So I won't repeat it all. But for a show that was literally my favorite show of the Arrowverse world for so long, it is now nearly unwatchable. Nearly unwatchable. And they they are devoid of any fresh concepts at whatsoever. And it's just difficult. Uh, best show of the season. So this is different from best new show, but best show of the season. Mel, who do you have? Obi-Wan Kenobi. For me, there was not another show that kept my attention, that had me anticipating watching a new episode more than Obi-Wan. They did a fabulous job keeping with the continuity of Star Wars, seeing another era that we're familiar with, but we haven't quite seen all of yet. I loved seeing the live-action version of the Grand Inquisitors, who we've previously only seen in the animated versions. So it was great to see them as live-action. I loved the third sister. Um, the actress who played little Leia was fabulous. It makes complete sense. of That's how she would be as a child, because that's how she was as an adult. I loved it. Ewan McGregor coming back um, fell right back into his role as Obi-Wan. It was so good. And it was good to see Hayden Christensen, who has slightly improved since his days as a youngin doing Star Wars. But it all felt so familiar, and it was just a treat to watch. Dan? Uh, Mel sort of encapsulated all that I had. Uh, mine is also Obi-Wan Kenobi. I loved it. I loved seeing everyone back, and I'm hoping for more come, moving forward. Mo? For me, my um, best show of the season is Young Justice Season 4, um, named uh, codenamed Phantoms. Wow. I mean, it was 26 episodes. Really, truly shows what you can do with the DC Universe on a much grander scale in terms of the storytelling, the character development. So many of the Arrowverse shows, i.e. The Flash, can learn from the storytelling mechanics that they use, how they build and keep building until you reach this crescendo. I mean, you literally have a story arc about the Zods. And 
when you have the Zods versus the L's, I mean, it's a massive throwdown. Throw in other concepts like the Legion of Superheroes, Teen Titans concepts like Danny Chase, who was like one of the most annoying Teen Titans characters in the comics. I loved how you explored the mythology of magic and so forth in in the Young Justice universe, the stakes in the show. It's it's such such it's probably I will say this it is the best depiction of the DC universe whether you're talking live action or animated it is the best uh, depiction of this universe currently available and I think that uh, HBO Max needs to renew this show for season five because they left you on a badass cliffhanger involving two characters. One we've already that was previously mentioned um, in the last episode, and, and I'm looking forward to them bring, bringing that character on this show. My best show of the season is Moe's best new show of the season, which is Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I thought it was fantastic. The cinematography was great. The acting is great. The cast is wonderful. The the single episode that was the exception that proved the rule is how I'm going to treat it was when they decided to turn the doctor's daughter's fairy tale book into an actual episode. And then we had space magic be the thing that saves her life. That was the only flaw in what is otherwise a stellar season. Paramount Plus now between it and Drag Race and um, Halo is the app that I'm actually watching the most. What I also thought was interesting about the best and worst TV season is I don't have a single Netflix show on my list, either good or bad, with that ha- of something that I've watched that would qualify to even be in one of my categories, which a few years ago, Netflix dominated these things. And now it's like they're doing, this is not meant to be derogatory, but it's probably going to come across that way. A lot of Netflix's sci-fi and fantasy series feel like they are sci-fi channel afterthoughts. Van Helsing type things. They're it look. It's like they're trying to do Van Helsing and they're trying to do Winona Earp, where Netflix used to have the premier geek series, but now they're doing all the Winona Earp type series. And I loved Winona Earp. Don't get me wrong, but from a budget and a cinematography and everything like that, it never measured up to some of the other marquee shows that sci-fi channel had. And that's what everything feels like for me on Netflix at the moment. This brings us to the best couple of the season. Dan, who do you have? I have Lucas and Max on stranger things. Yeah. After your Netflix uh, rants, I, I like, it feels weird going there, but Lucas and Max. to to be fair to you guys, I have not watched stranger things since season one. So it doesn't register for me on my radar of things that I've like watch. And, Mel's mentioning Lost in Space. I watched the first two seasons of that, but haven't followed up on those. Those are ones that in theory I should want to watch, but they're not ones that I feel like I have to watch. Like Witcher seasons, I have to watch Witcher seasons. But otherwise, for me, Netflix doesn't really have a lot. For me, Lucas and Max were the just an amazing couple that went through so much during a year in which they were broken up. They weren't even officially a couple. And they went through some of the most emotional turmoil that anyone could possibly go through in a sort of sci-fi fantasy realm, uh, with Max being a target for one, and or slash Vecna, and Lucas being the emotional rock for her during this time and always worrying about her and taking care of her and realizing that he can live within his own skin and he doesn't have to be a popular kid. He can just be himself and Max likes him anyways. And it just, they, they had so much raw talent and 
I, I'm interested to see where the show goes from there. Because of the fact that I thought of Witcher while you were talking, I went back and looked. And this is how far Netflix has fallen for me. I had completely forgotten that Witcher season two was part of this time frame. That's how far Netflix has fallen for me when it comes to geek television. It's It doesn't even rank amongst the top three places that I think of to go to. Mel, who do you have for best couple? My same couple I had last year. It is Nikki and Henry from Kung Fu. Come on, y'all. Who's doing love better than them these days? And they had some troubles this past season. You know, Henry went through a lot, losing his dad. And now it seems that he's disappeared on her. And I've broken up about it. But, you know, they went through it. We got to have trials and tribulations as a couple. I understand. But the love is still there. And I believe in it. Mo. I have probably a very controversial couple. It's Lois and Clark for Superman and Lois. Yes, I good mean, pick. Bad call. I mean, no. It's like, no, 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 no. They are the preemptive couple. Even though they may disagree about things, they know when to come together as a couple. They may make some bad parenting decisions. As a couple, but here's the thing they are ride or die for each other. You know, you know that Lois, if she gets if she gets her hands on a on a stun gun or she's gonna shoot somebody to protect Clark if necessary. Okay. And that's the thing. You know, we don't need I don't need Lois and Clark to be a these perfect parents. Right. Okay. What I need for them to be is a unit. Yes. They may disagree, but at the end of the day, they are a unit. They a they united lock, front. They walk in front. Yeah. They walk lockstep with each other when they're making decisions about their family. And and and, and to me it has all those hallmarks. You know, of what I would feel with um, Jefferson and Lynn or with Barry and uh, Barry and Iris. You know, I I get that from Lois and Clark and I've gotten that from Lois and Clark for for many years. This is just a really I would like to say a very mature interpretation of their real. It's not the um, Lois and Clark New Adventures of Superman um, so, you know, romantic, co- romantic comedy esque take on their relationship. And it's not the overly angst driven version of their relationship that we got in Smallville. This is a literal mature couple with two teenage kids, one with powers, one without trying to deal with real world issues. I mean, and, and we're getting this on top of the superheroic. So for me, that's why Lois and Clark from Superman and Lois is my best couple. I went for an entire episode without a single tie. So, of course, I have to have at least one, but there may be more on this episode. My best couple of the season, Ryan Shen and Sebastian from Kung Fu. I love their little... Uh, should I call it young love flirting... Um, and sort of like those early stage romance of them on Kung Fu. Uh, but then on the flip side, who ties with them is Michael and Booker on Star Trek Discovery, which is a mature love where both of them know each other so well. They love each other so passionately. But in the end, their end goals tore them apart. I loved Michael and Booker's story on Star Trek Discovery. The poker scene was fantastic. I loved it. Cancelled, a.k.a. I took it off my DVR. Well, I'm going to kick this one off. That was Riverdale. Uh, Riverdale, I started piling up episodes. I think there were 18 of them, 13 of them, some giant amount. And I just looked at it and I was like, I can't. I just can't. I'm canceling this. And I just went to my DVR. I did the down arrow on the remote. I selected delete and they all vanished. And it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. 
It was amazing. Dan, who did you cancel? I see what you're doing, Luke. I see it. Uh, I unfortunately canceled Westworld. I really That's thought- crazy. Because wow. th- like I I think that the, well, so here's the reason why <laughs> I, I find this crazy because I've had so many, like I've had like four real life friends be like, Westworld is amazing. I'm so hooked. I can't, season four is amazing. Season three was great. And I was like, unfortunately, I don't, I don't cover it on Geek Confidential because we only have one person who watches it and he loves it. And so to now hear that you've canceled Westworld, I'm in shock. I saw the pilot for season four. And I'm having the same problem that I've had in the last two seasons where I still don't know what's going on. Like Westworld is fundamentally gorgeous and the actors are incredible, but I never know what's going on. I never know what continuity we're in, what timeline we're going with, who's a, who's a host and who's not. They, it's too complicated right now. Okay. Mel, who do you have? Who did you cancel? I'm shocked about this Westworld business too, because I'm like, wait a minute. Is, are you not supposed to know what's happening? Cause that's why I could never watch it. Okay. Not the point. Um, so this is a new show that I started and I've never finished and I'm not going to. So there's a show on epics or epics, however you want to say it, uh, called from, And it's about a small town that is being plagued by these creatures that only come out at night. And if you enter this town accidentally, you cannot get out of it. You are stuck in a loop. It does not set you free. And these creatures that come out at night, we don't know exactly what they are, but they kill you dead. And you have to have this special type of talisman and for them not to enter your home. And if it falls down, you are SOL. And it's interesting to see how, at least how the people in the town interacted, but it just didn't hook me. It, it didn't have that factor that made me want to keep coming back and watching it, and I just had to let it go. Mo? I had to cancel Naomi, which, you know, the CW Ooh. ultimately canceled that for me. Um, so, so I didn't have to worry about going back and watching the last, like, five episodes of that show. I... Honestly, I I was really, really disappointed in how that show turned out. Um, had had such high expectations. I think the actress, uh, Casey Waffle, who plays the lead character, uh, Naomi McDuffie, is a wonderful actress. I think she encapsulated the char- character really well. I think the problems with the show, if you start from... The, the beginning and it was the, the well, fact it was slow as hell it, it was slow and that was a big problem it's, it's it's so it's like they they took the wrong lessons from the comic book and the comic it, it feels like these 13 episodes my understanding and i did read some spoilers for what happened in the in the because i was just really curious about how much it aligned with the with the first naomi miniseries and i can see where they really padded it out to try to get to to six uh to make they turned 13 episodes of a show into six issues of a comic uh, from six issues of a comic. And, and, and they, they just, they learned the wrong lessons. Um, I think from a CGI and perspective, it looked bad. It looked as bad as anything we were getting on like legends. Yes. Like on flat, it just looked really, really cheap and, and certain aspects um, which is really sad because it was only 13 episodes. It was a new show. You would think that they would have the budget to do some better looking CGI than what they did. It, it was just. They gave it to Superman. <laughs> Listen, I Naomi, the Naomi pilot was so bad. I got done watching that thing and I was like, I will never watch another episode. That thing was so slow. And I... Uh, I stuck through it. It, it, I, it wasn't I, great. So here, here's the thing. 
I have the utmost respect for Dvorne's talents, but I am never going to be the person who enjoys her vision for fantasy and superheroes. Because whatever that movie was that Oprah and Reese Witherspoon was... A Wrinkle in Time. Yes, A Wrinkle in Time. I tried watching that thing and I when it came out on like on one of the streaming platforms and I was like what is this slow ass mess? And then she came out with Naomi and I was like what is this slow ass mess? I am never going to be like I can I can watch stuff on HBO Max with Peacemaker which is massively violent and too violent for like my personal taste but it has good acting funny stories and actually good storylines and it has a pace. I watched and have watched every single um Arrowverse show in uh, for at least 4 or 5 seasons. Well, with the exception of maybe Supergirl since I'm not sure it made it to 5 seasons. I can't remember how many it actually made. Um and so I I will watch the full spectrum. I even love things like Mutant X, the Saturday night syndicated late night TV series. I will watch bad sci-fi if you give me a couple characters that I like and keep the pace. But her choice of directing and how it all plays out is too slow for me as a consumer. I just can't do it. I can't. And if... if when her directing a DC or a Marvel movie fell through, whichever it was, I can't remember. I breathed a sigh of relief because so, I was in, I was like, Ooh, that's going to be rough. So I, I will say this. So, so Luke Supergirl made it to six seasons. Well, I know I didn't watch the last season because I had taken it off my DVR and canceled it by that point. So, uh, but I will say if, if, if you do like the character naming me, I suggest reading the comic series. Um, you know, I, I, I and yeah, I, I suggest there's two uh, two two mini series out now featuring the character, and then that character's appeared in other comics. But but definitely stay away from the show. Most disappointing show. Uh, I don't have a clue of who's supposed to go first. So Dan, who do you have? That's easy. Superman and Lois. Uh, we are not going to revisit that topic. If you want to hear that fight, go back and listen to part one of the best and worst of the television because Dan got all of that out there. Uh, Dan, did you want to say anything more about it? I mean, I I outlined the entire thing. I thought the parallel universe stuff was weak. I thought they the double standard on Jordan and Jonathan and Clark's eyes is bad. I thought they underwritten or underwrote Lois. Uh, I think that they butchered Lucy. I, I'm really digging the John Henry Natalie stuff. That That's about it. Mel, who do you have for most disappointing show? So this is a show we talked about a lot earlier, but I just had it further down my list. It is The Flash. My, how the mighty have fallen. That show used to be so fabulous, and now it is a shell of what it used to be, and they just keep continuing it. And at this point, it's time. It's time to call it. I know I'm so tired of reverse flash. Why? Why do we even need that? We're just repeating things that do not need to be repeated. I don't care about the time sickness. I don't care about any of that. And also, the treatment of Candace Patton is atrocious. Someone in the Twitterverse sent an interview or a podcast, I'm not sure, that she did talking about why she wasn't in the season as much and how she basically gave the network saying, hey, you know, we need me to do this. We can work something out. If we don't, cool, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then they chose not to use it. And that's why things just don't make sense. Like they're biting their nose to spite their face. And I, I can't, I can't. For me, the reason I didn't pick it as worst show because being disappointing is worse than being awful. Like, if you're just bad, okay, fine. But from a show that used to be so great to what it is now, I can't. It's The Flash. And the showrunner talking about, oh, well, I hope we get another two seasons, I think it's just you. Because 
yeah, it's not working out. Mo? Yeah, um, so I, <laughs> I believe it was our, our, our DC, uh, our <laughs> geek confidential fan, um, Enrique, who first uh, shared that uh, Candace Patton interview to our Facebook page. But um, yeah, my most disappointing show is Killing Eve. And ooh, if you've been a fan of Killing Eve, there was that show had such high highs. I mean, it. I will say it for me, Killing Eve never reached the high highs of The Flash. But that first season, really the first two seasons of Killing Eve was such a delightful show. The the cat and mouse game between Villanelle and Eve was very sexy and it was very fun. And then by around the third season, it just went off the rails. And the fourth season, which was dubbed the final season, you know, the showrunner had to kind of bring everything together. And I have to say, it was cobbled together, I think, that and really it would have worked it would have stuck the landing for me i mean but the final episode in my opinion did an unthinkable thing by killing off eve after her and villanelle have finally had a a, a sexual tryst and it, it just was such a disappointing ending. Literally, they killed Eve, and they cut to the title card sequence. It and I was I just felt robbed. Wait, wait! You have a show called Killing Eve, and you're upset that Eve was killed. I, excuse me, Villanelle was killed. Excuse oh. me, Villanelle was killed at the end, not Eve. Also, I would like to point <laughs> out that this is not a geeky show. It's one that he snuck in in the past. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why is it not a... It's, it's an espionage show? Espionage does qualify technically. Like, if it's, if it's an international espionage, that can work. But I yeah, don't... This, like, I've never show. watched it personally. So um, I just remember in the past that most had legitimate-sounding rationale and explanations for how it was a geeky show. And yeah, so it's... he's been able to do it. Fair enough. My most disappointing show, and this really, really pains me to say this, Doctor Who season 13. I didn't understand what was going on with the space villains. I struggled with, once again, with so many companions I love Doctor Who. I love Jodie Whittaker in the role of uh, the Doctor. But the writing and the vision for the Jodie Whittaker era, what she is being given to portray is not up to what I am expecting from the franchise that gave me Tennant and Matt Smith. They're like Jody's seasons are barely a notch above the Skeletor doctor, just barely. And he, he was a massive disappointment for me. I need the next new doctor to come in. I need the old writers to return I need the vision for this show to be reestablished, and I need some things to make sense in the world of Doctor Who. Doctor Who, the world of Doctor Who to the outside world doesn't have to make sense, but it has to make sense within Doctor Who. And this last season, I'm I remember conversations when with like when I was texting Mo and I was like, what just happened here? Can you explain this? And that's how I felt most of the season. I it pains me because Doctor Who is one of my favorite sci-fi franchises, all-time favorite, one of my all-time favorite sci-fi franchises, and for it to be so disappointing just hurts. Luke, mm-hmm. I will say I will throw you a lifeline on there. So 
the you know the current regime writing regime Chris Chibnall he's he's leaving. We get in Russell T Davies who brought back Doctor Who back in 2005 um, is returning with um, the 60th anniversary next year. So we will get a get a bit of a broom an, an old broom sweeping out the trash. So I think um, I'm looking forward to the things kind of turning around. But I do feel like Chibnall was a bad fit as the showrunner. But you knew it was going to be bad from the moment that he said, we're not going to be bringing back any of the like the normal villains. When you have someone whose vision for the franchise is not to build on the legacy of some of your most popular villains, and that's what they're promoting, that's a problem. And it was a problem from episode episode one of his reign i i don't know i mean the irony of this with chimnal is again he was working with russell t um when during the uh during his some of his first series he was a co he, he was the co-showrunner and co-creator of torchwood and so he he but, understands the legacy pieces certainly since from the last 15 years it's just that for whatever reason it just never translated to actual good stories that that made sense particularly for Jodie Whittaker's doctor what but the thing about that is when you say that he was involved in Torchwood it makes sense that he might have been involved in Torchwood if him coming to in taking over doctor Torchwood was a much different tone Torchwood had different arcs for the villains torchwood had a team of characters that gelled but he tried to apparently because i he tried to bring some of that over and and you can't do torchwood in doctor who and pull it off and so if he brought those elements and that was part of it i'm just glad he's gone okay This might also be a very controversial category. We shall see. I don't get it. The most overhyped show, character, or couple. So one of the three, you can choose whatever it is. Basically, the most overhyped thing in geek television, Mel. Mine comes from A Discovery of Wishes, which we do not talk about enough on this podcast. And I don't care. Y'all gonna get me. Whatever. I cannot stand Diana and Matthew. And I know that's the basis of the show. I know they lead all the story. I get it. But I don't like it. I don't think they have chemistry. I don't like that Matthew is always holding back Diana from all of her powers. She can't never do anything that she needs to get done because she always running behind him and his foolishness. And it really pisses me off. I love that show. I thought it was great. Mo really summed it up earlier but oh for for her to be like the baddest witch to come along in generations and she falling in love with the vampire oh oh, ah, it made me so mad and i don't get it dan i had moon tonight i just i don't get it I, i don't get it at all i'm so confused I like I really like Oscar Isaac. I like Ethan Hawke. I just I I don't get the show. Mo Boba Fett. <laughs> I mean like he was supposed to be the baddest bounty hunter out there and what? Fennec Shan was just doing all the work. I mean, and let's face it. He would have got his ass handed to him if the Mandalorian didn't show up halfway through the season and not just only save Boba Fett and company, but save the show by turning into Mandalorian season 2.5. Right. That Boba Fett was basically the opening act for the Mandalorian season three is basically what it came down to. My I don't get it is Legends of Tomorrow. Because as everybody, including certain individuals on this podcast, were like all up in arms about it needing to be saved, I was like, put a stake in that sucker. It should have had a stake in that sucker a year or two ago. Just get done with it. I do not understand why this show had a campaign to save it. 
don't get me wrong. I love uh, the original characters that were still on the show, but this show made no sense, even within its own context. It had become bloated and was trying to do too much. It needed to die at least two seasons ago, possibly three. Legends of Tomorrow, I don't get it. The most overhyped Save the Show campaign in recent memory. Which brings us to our final two categories, standout female and standout male actor. Standout female character Mo. Well, um, for me, my standout uh, female actor is Daniel Brooks, uh, who played Leona uh, W. Bayou um, from Peacemaker. I, uh, you know, uh, Leona was secretly Amanda Waller's daughter. I think that she had a, a lot of empathy and a, I wouldn't necessarily say the voice of reason, but at least the voice, the she was a, a saner bit of a voice. Well, she was a conscious, but she was also a saner voice amongst that that group of of mercenaries. I think that uh, her relationship with Chris Smith really helped to humanize that character to make him much more of a likable character. I think that um, you know Leota being a thicker plus size woman is wonderful in these types of shows because we need a bit more representation. I think that uh, she was easily able to hold her own, whether it was killing those aliens, whether it was taking on (laughs) neo-Nazis. I really look forward to seeing more of Leota's character and particularly more about um, her relationship with her wife and so forth. Hopefully we'll get a bit more backstory and a little bit more um, screen time for for that couple in um, season two. Mel, female, a standout female actor? I have the actress who played little Leia on Obi-Wan, Vivian Lyra Blair. What a little talent. I felt like she did everything so well. She did comedy, she did serious scenes, sadness, all of it. And such a little person. I was so impressed with her, and I cannot wait to see what we see from her in the future. Dan? I have Haley Steinfeld for her role as Kate Bishop on Hawkeye. I love the comedic timing. I love her uh, serious moments. I love her relationship with her mom and how she had to make the hard decision. Uh, She was incredibly talented and all of that. And I can't wait to see more of her as Kate Bishop. Uh, Mine is someone who I listed for, best villain, Alison Pill as Agnes Girari, the Borg queen. I did not particularly, I was not particularly enthused by Agnes in season one, but I loved her in season two. And I thought that Pill did a fantastic job. Standout male actor, Mel. Well, I know y'all don't understand this show and I think I'm the only one who really enjoyed it. But for me, it's Oscar Isaac in Moon Knight. He played several characters simultaneously many times acting in scenes with himself only playing different characters which is difficult and he did it flawlessly for me it didn't ever take me out of the scene i thought he did a great job and having to make sure that when you're playing these multiple roles you separate them well enough to know that when we're watching as the audience say oh no that's mark specter oh no he now he's steven grant and there's no confusion about it that takes an actor. So I loved his work. Dan? Uh, for me, I picked Caleb McLaughlin, who played Lucas on Stranger Things. The final scene where he is weeping, calling out to his sister Erica, spending that moment with Max, I'm just, I, I, I had tears in my eyes. He is such a talent. He did such an amazing job and has been throughout this the entire run of the show. And I want to see him in so many other roles. I want to see him reboot Agent Cody Banks. I want to see him reboot like a spy thriller or, you know, any type of a teen comedy, something that allows his talents to really shine because he is so, so good. Had so many things. Mo? 
for me, I'm I'm gonna agree with Mel. I'm going with Oscar Isaac for Moon Knight, and you know, I, I understood the show, and I really enjoyed the really enjoyed Moon Knight. I thought that I did have some issues with the number of episodes and episode links, but I feel as though you know Oscar Isaac did you know as Mel said a tour de force, um, you know easily portraying you know whether he was mark specter Stephen knight and then at the very end jake lockley really differentiating those characters if you've read the moon knight comics you know particularly as we and i'm talking moon knight circa the last 15 years or so where they really delved into this did did and helping to differentiate the characters we really get that on screen I was amazed at how even when, um, when, for instance, Stephen Grant assumed the Mr. Knight persona, that Mr. Knight even had a distinctive fighting style that was very different than, than when uh, Mark Spector was Moon Knight. I, I really, really enjoyed that. I think Oscar Isaac really helped give us a memento type of Marvel show. I do wish the show though felt a little bit more connected to to the larger MCU. Hopefully they will bring Oscar Isaac back in something I could certainly easily see uh, Blade and Moon Knight uh, coming together for some reason. My standout male actor is a tie. Anson Mount as Captain Christopher Pike um, and Ethan Peck as Spock on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. They both are so good and so dynamic and so engaging, and I need some fan fiction to be written about them. Um, I I should actually see if there is any, Um, but that's a side topic. They make me want to watch Strange New Worlds. Also, I want to give an honorable mention to Alan Richson, who plays Jack Reacher on Reacher on Amazon Prime. He did a fantastic job in season one. On that note, we would encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com or in the Geek Confidential Facebook group where we post news stories and all the good type of stuff to discuss. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Melody is at Melody Akles. Dan is Real Dan Pierce. Mo is at um, Dr. Mo 77 Geek Confidential is at GK uh, Confidential on Twitter and GK Confidential on Facebook. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. See ya. Bye. Bye, y'all.